Legal Eagles Wrong About Parts of COPPA on AgeGate's Mixed Audiences and YouTube. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we are once again going to dive into the world of COPPA, YouTube, compliance, promulgated rules, and everything else that you've loved so much about this series, which we've called YouTube at large. But over the weekend, I received a number of messages and DM and email that asked me to comment on a video that a much more prominent YouTube lawyer put up there called Legal Eagle, and whose videos I have checked out in the past. He actually does a series that I really like that discusses kind of pop culture legal things such as A Few Good Men and other instances of law in movies and TV shows and things of that nature. I highly recommend checking him out. I think it's a good channel and has a lot of good information. And this episode really isn't any different. It's called You're Wrong About COPPA, which I just take personal offense to because I've covered it so much. But all kidding aside, one thing that he gets wrong, I think fundamentally, that a number of people ask me about and that I want to talk to you about on this video is the nature of the mixed audience exception or age gates or what you might have seen me talk about a little bit in the video I did called Not Just an FTC Problem, How YouTube's COPPA in Action Puts Its Content Creators at Risk. And that video, which you can check out here, and if I remember, I'll put a card up, talks about how YouTube has these various other options. YouTube could just go and get parental consent, could actually comply with COPPA in respect of those channels that are directed at children. And again, this kind of puts aside all of the argumenting I have done in respect of whether or not a YouTube channel creator is actually an operator for purposes of COPPA and the expansion that the FTC made to various definitions and rules in 2013, all of which I think go beyond the ambit of the original COPPA Act itself. But putting that aside and assuming for this purpose and having this discussion that the FTC is correct, if the FTC is correct that channels are operators for purposes of its rule in the Act, then YouTube could have done things to help its creators. It could have gone and gotten consent. It could have just complied with COPPA. And one of the ways that it could have complied with COPPA is in respect of what we call the mixed audience exception or the age gate rule or however else you might think about it. Now, because we've talked about COPPA so much on this channel, I don't want to relitigate all those various issues. But suffice it to say, COPPA says if you have a website and you operate that website and it is directed to children, then essentially the FTC assumes that everybody that visits that site that is directed to children is a child. And so you have to go and you have to get parental consent. You have to give notice about what data you collect and so forth and so on. It's a fairly high standard. And that's one of the reasons that YouTube doesn't want to comply with it. They don't want to get into the way of their moneymaker. They don't want to have these various other windows and boxes to check and things of that nature. And what we've talked about at length on this channel is the fact that directed at children is so subjective and so vague that it's impossible for any lawyer to sit down with any particular client and say, I know for certain the FTC will do this about your content. And if we look at it, we see the definition here in the COPPA rule, which I've just pulled up. It says, hey, when we determine what directed to children means, we'll look at its subject matter, visual content, animated characters, child celebrities, music, et cetera, et cetera. We will know it when we see it and we will determine it on the day. So good luck trying to comply with it in advance. And that's one of the reasons that YouTube creators have come out of the woodwork, either following virtual legality or talking to me or whatever else that they've done and said, hey, I've looked at this. I have no idea whether my content complies. And one of the things that we pointed out is that the FTC was aware of this issue. The FTC was aware that there are things that you can make that while attractive to children under paragraph one, 
that has a subject matter that children might like, like sports or dragons or unicorns or cartoons, including visual content and animated characters. Maybe it uses a celebrity that is attractive to children. Maybe it's The Rock, who's, you know, attractive to everybody. But it could fall under paragraph one. But the FTC will make a second determination that says, hey, even if it would have fallen under paragraph one, we're going to take a look and say, okay, it's a paragraph one potentially directed to children. We're going to see if it targets children. And if it doesn't target children, it's a very simple thing that you can do. It says a website or online service that is directed to children under the criteria set forth in paragraph one. So it is a cartoon program about unicorns, but that does not target children as its primary audience because it's actually a metaphor for Afghanistan policy from the United States political spectrum, shall not be deemed directed to children if it does not collect personal information from any visitor prior to collecting age information. So you can't start there. You can't just collect it when they arrive. And it prevents the collection use or disclosure of that information from visitors who identify themselves as under age 13. Now I've highlighted that language, but it's important. It's important in the law and it's important in what this rule actually says. Who identify themselves is a very low burden. It's essentially a check the box. If you saw this on the internet elsewhere from YouTube, you would say, are you over the age of 13 or are you 13 or over? And you would check yes, or you would check no. And if you check no, probably you get kicked out of that site or at bare minimum, YouTube could have arranged it to, so that the site didn't collect information from that user, but it's just a check the box. It doesn't require a credit card. It doesn't require an email chain. It doesn't require all the things that they would classify as verifiable parental consent elsewhere in this rule and in the other kind of guidance that they've put out there. And that's an important distinction because this was designed to get you out of all those rules. This was a response to people complaining about essentially mixed audiences, things that children just happen to like, but that were never aimed either by the website operator as it was traditionally known in which this rule and law was actually passed to cover or in the respect of a YouTube content creator was just designed to be attractive to everybody. What we might see is family friendly that children don't hate but it was not directed solely at kids that are 12 and under. And that's a pretty broad spectrum. In fact, I think a lot of family-friendly content, people that are covering theme park rides or that are actually reviewing primetime television on YouTube that could be attractive to certain kinds of kids that maybe are 12 and under, but are generally acceptable to everybody. That's the question that they've been asking. And unfortunately, it's a question that Legal Legal went into some detail about. We're going to actually talk about his comments. I've actually got some quotes up here that we're actually going to go through because one of the main thrusts of his video is that the mixed audience exception doesn't exist. He talks very, very well and at length about all of those various factors that are included in paragraph one, how the COPPA rule actually operates, the fact that the FTC is now claiming that YouTube channel creators are operators. And I think he yields that ground a little bit more than I do, but different lawyers, as you've no doubt found following these various different channels or even just following the issue at large, they can have disagreements on these kinds of things. In fact, the law is very often operating in a gray area, and I personally think the FTC is outside its bounds. He seems to yield that ground. I don't know what he personally thinks about that, but certainly the FTC is absolutely asserting that authority, which everybody has to be cognizant of and has to take advisement of. You can check out the other videos in YouTube at large on this channel for more of my discussion in detail on a number of these different things. But let's take a look at what he actually says. He says, now some commentators including my friend and fellow lawyer, Ian Corzine, have argued that YouTube is hiding the ball by not explaining to creators that the mixed audience exception exists. 
and by not making the mixed audience exception an option when you're uploading a video. In fact, I have argued that as well, although my channel is small enough that it doesn't make an appearance on this video from Legal Legal. Unfortunately, I don't think that that's really true, and here's why. Now, you might assume that you could just rely on the general YouTube age gate and the fact that YouTube is actively segregating users based on their age. They put children in YouTube kids, and they put everybody else in YouTube main. But the problem is that the FTC appears to be taking the position that YouTube, let alone creators, cannot rely on the overall age gate, or sometimes called the swing gate, in terms of assuming that people who are using YouTube main are over the age of 13. Now, this is incorrect, and it's incorrect from a kind of fundamental respect, because what's actually happening in the FTC complaint, and I've I've pulled that up here, is that the FTC is asserting that YouTube has these channels that are directed at kids. And because YouTube isn't the operator of those channels by virtue of this long attenuated logic that they've used to come after YouTube, they have to prove that YouTube has actual knowledge of what's happening on those channels. And when they collect data from kids on those channels, they're in trouble. So one of the first things that is my comment on what Legal Legal says here is that the FTC complaint is not concerned with mixed audiences. And as we talked about in the rule itself, there's essentially two standards. And the mixed audience is essentially an escape valve or an exception to what is the directed to children standard. And the FTC is actually saying, we're not talking about mixed audiences. We are saying there are channels that contacted you by email, by phone, that you self-evaluated were for kids under the age of seven. And then you collected persistent identifiers from them when they visited and irrespective of their login status. Look at paragraph 17 of their complaint. In general, defendants, that's YouTube and Google, do not require users to register or create an account in order to view videos on YouTube. As a result, anyone can view most content on YouTube regardless of age. Defendants do limit certain activities on the platform, such as commenting on videos to users that are logged into a Google account. Comments can display the user's name and are publicly available for others to view, but they are limited to someone actually asserting that they are over the age of 13. This is the crux of the FTC's complaint. Right now, my seven-year-old daughter can go on the Hasbro channel, can go find My Little Pony ads or cartoons or snippets or whatever you might call them, and YouTube collects information on her without any other processes. And because the Hasbro channel is so obviously directed to children, according to the FTC, that's a violation of the main precept of the COPPA rule. And if you don't believe me, this is the main issue. I've now highlighted what Google actually says about the information it collects. When you are not signed into a Google account, we store the information we collect with unique identifiers tied to the browser application or device you are using. This helps us do things like maintain your language preferences across browsing sessions and unsaid, provide behavioral advertisement, advertisement based on your prior sessions and other things you might have visited that we can track to you, which is the main problem that the FTC has with YouTube. It's not whether or not the age gate is sufficient. They actually don't get into that so much. They get into the fact that you are collecting that data regardless of the age gate. So we don't have to talk about your 13-year-old terms of service. And yes, they have a few things in their press conference. They have a few things in their press release that say, hey, Google was lying because they were telling their clients we are limited to only over the age of 13 and we don't have to comply with COPPA. And that was false, but not because of the insufficiency of the age gate, but because of this. 
because they never stopped collecting persistent identifiers regardless of whether or not you were logged in. So that's a fundamental misconception, I believe, on Legal Eagle's part. And it fundamentally changes what is happening with respect to the mixed audience exception. Because yes, if you believe the FTC thinks that the age gate is just completely non-functional, it obviously can't work in any other context. But the FTC has never asserted that. And if we actually go back to the language of the rule itself, it is designed to allow for a simple check the box age gate who identify themselves as under age 13. Not anything else, not anything more confusing than that. As a matter of fact, we can see the difference if we go and we look at the FTC's description of what it means to go get verifiable parental consent. They actually say, hey, if you are directed to children, if you fall under the primary COPPA bucket, or if you have actual knowledge that you are collecting information from kids, here are the ways that you can go prove that you got parental consent. They can sign a consent form and get it back to you via email, fax, or electronic scan. You can use a credit card. They can call a toll-free number staffed by personnel. You can have a video conference. You can do all these various things. But ultimately, this is to comply with COPPA, and the age gate is to go a different direction to say, okay, yes, I'm complying with COPPA insofar as I'm not doing illegal things and I'm complying with the law, but I don't have to go through the notice and parental consent requirements. I can instead use this age gate which the rule itself allows people to self-identify under, and I can be okay. Continuing with Mr. Legal Eagle's description of events here, he says, hey, and on top of that, if you put an age gate on every single video and required people to affirmatively state that they are over the age of 13 before they watched any video that is marked as not directed to children, well, number one, you're putting a burden on adults, which is sort of an iffy area. Now, I don't know what he means by iffy area exactly here. There's certainly nothing illegal about a platform provider making certain requirements of its users. But again, it kind of explains what I've talked about in previous episodes of the YouTube at Large series. Yeah, absolutely. There are business reasons to not go through with an age gate. There are business reasons to not turn off your persistent identifiers because you put a lot of that liability on the content creators. You say, hey, FTC, we're doing our best. We complied with what you required of us in the consent document that we agreed to, which is to say, hey, you have to identify if something is directed at children or not. But if they do it wrongly and you get burned by that, that can't be all on us because we're doing our best. And yes, at YouTube, our business model is functionally related to whether or not we can serve behavioral advertising. So the less we can turn that button off, the better it is for us. So there are reasons, absolutely, that YouTube doesn't want to provide the age gate. That is not anything that I disagree with Legal Eagle on. But whether or not it would be effective for COPPA compliance, I disagree pretty significantly on. Continuing, but if YouTube can't rely on their general age gate, which is his premise and assumption, which I believe is erroneous, in the terms of service, it says no one under the age of 13 can use YouTube main, then why would the FTC take their word on an age gate on any particular video? Now, keep in mind, there are internet websites that essentially say, log in to see our stuff, that YouTube could easily say, hey, you have to sign up for a Google account to use the YouTube service. And that would basically comply entirely with the COPPA rule. You have somebody asserting directly that they are 13 or older. And if they don't, YouTube won't collect data because it won't allow them to visit any of its channels. YouTube obviously doesn't want to do that because it likes having people visit without signing into Google, because there are a lot of adults that don't like to sign into accounts with 
data tech giants. And who can blame them after some of the stuff we've talked about in virtual legality? Google knows this. Google knows that any barrier to entry to using its service is on the margin going to reduce its revenue. So it doesn't want to make these requirements mandatory. But if it was concerned with content creators, it would allow for these kinds of things. And it would allow for a button that says, hey, don't collect any persistent identifiers. Don't collect any data from anybody until they sign an age gate with you or until they have a Google account. Pretty simple button. You wouldn't even have to say mixed audience or not. But YouTube has elected not to do that. Again, primarily in my opinion, obviously opinion, speculation here, to protect their bottom line. And as a business lawyer, I don't blame them for that. I can understand that kind of calculation. But I think content creators that are upset about that are justifiably so. So I think Legal Eagle is missing the the forest for the trees here by taking the FTC's position, kind of extrapolating one onto mixed audiences when the complaint is only ever focused on directed to children and then saying, hey, if age gates don't count for directed to children, which they don't, then why would they count for mixed audiences? And completely skipping the set of rules that differentiate between directed to children and directed and targeted at children. He continues, remember that to sign up for YouTube in the first place, you have to certify that you are over the age of 13. And if you put in a birth date that is below that, you will be rejected from creating a YouTube account. And if that's not good enough for the FTC, then the only thing that YouTube can do is what they are doing, that effectively there is no mixed audience exception. If anything is considered child-directed, then they have to turn off the algorithm. But that's incorrect. And in fact, that is incorrect in such a significant way that that is entirely what the mixed audience exception age gate was designed to protect against. I have pulled up now the 2013 amendment statements, right? And this is when the FTC is dealing with people complaining about their new language. And here's what they say. They say the commission amends paragraph three of the definition to clarify when a child-directed site would be permitted to age screen to differentiate among users. Now, they are, again, kind of alighting a couple of definitions because they are saying you are child-directed, but you don't fall under the definition and will allow an age gate because you fall under paragraph one, all the stuff about animated characters and whatnot, but because you aren't quote-unquote targeted to children, then we're going to give you this extra benefit. This paragraph codifies the commission's intention to first apply its totality of the circumstances standard to determine whether any website or online service falling under paragraph three is in fact directed to children. The commission then will assess whether children under age of 13 are the primary audience for the site or service. Paragraph three codifies that a site or service that is directed to children, but that does not target children as its primary audience. So again, those are the two definitions. It uses animated characters. It has boppy music. The rock makes an appearance, maybe some kids, but it's not aimed specifically at 12-year-olds and under. Maybe it's family-friendly or something along those lines. So that's the bucket that you fall in. They may use an age screen in order to apply all of COPPA's protection only to visitors who self-identify as under age 13. As the commission stated in their previous document, the operator will be deemed to have actual knowledge that such users, those that have self-identified as under the age of 13, must obtain parental consent before collecting any personal information from them and must also comply with all their all other aspects of the rule. In other words, you put this age gate up and yes, absolutely, you are responsible for those that are under the age of 13 and presumably YouTube could technologically work on something that says, hey, you're booted out or you go to YouTube Kids or wherever you might otherwise find yourself. But they didn't do that here. They didn't provide that button because they don't want people to hit it. They want them to make the determination of directed to children or not directed to children. And because of all this kind of definitional sleight of hand, 
because of the way this all kind of operates together, where the FTC has actually said you are directed to children, but you're not directed to children for purposes of the definition. If you don't target children, it becomes very, very confusing, very difficult for any lawyer, let alone any layperson, to determine whether liability sets in. And the FTC was aware of this. And look at the difference in applying this to actual channels directed to children, which again is all the FTC was concerned with in their complaint and what Mr. Legal Legal is actually focused on here incorrectly. It says the commission retains its longstanding position that child-directed sites or services whose primary target audience is children must continue to presume all users are children and to provide COPPA protections accordingly. Some commenters contend that the commission should permit this presumption to be rebutted. As a matter of fact, that is one of the things that they are discussing in the current amendment and comment provisions of COPPA, which we've talked about in previous videos in this series. Some commenters contend that it should permit this presumption to be rebutted even on sites primarily targeting children by the use of a simple age screen that distinguishes child users from other users. Although the commission is now permitting this on sites or services that target children only as a secondary audience or to a lesser degree, which is unclear and just kind of puffery or superfluous language in this comment, the commission believes adopting this standard for all child-directed sites would virtually nullify the statutory distinction between actual knowledge sites and those directed to children, creating a de facto actual knowledge standard for all operators, making it much easier to get out of the operation of COPPA. So understand the difference there. They said, okay, we can't apply this to everybody. We can only apply it to people that aren't targeting children. And what Legal Legal has done and said here is that because the FTC wouldn't allow an age gate for sites that are directed to children, which is all that we are talking about with the current YouTube case, then it must not be available for mixed audiences. It goes completely against not only the language of the rule itself, but the commission's very own commentary on how that rule should operate. There is a significant distinction between mixed audience channels or website operators for purposes of the rule and the act and those that are actually directed and targeting children. There has to be that distinction or otherwise the rule wouldn't mean anything. It would be an empty letter and the law hates an empty letter. So I think that Legal Legal gets that wrong out of an abundance of caution. I still recommend his video and I still recommend his channel because I think he does a good job breaking down the statutory code. Obviously, if you find yourself in virtual legality, you've seen us do that now for however many videos we've done at 12 or 13. But I think he does a good job of that. I think he goes too far by suggesting that because an age gate won't work on a child directed channel, it must not be available for a mixed audience channel. Now, he is right in saying that YouTube doesn't currently offer that option. Uh, YouTube has not offered that option. That is one of the complaints that I have voiced, that Mr. Corazine has voiced, that others on YouTube and elsewhere on the internet have voiced. Just finishing up his statements here, he says, hey, YouTube, they have to turn off comments, and we are limited into stating that a video was either directed at children or it is not directed at children, and in a way, children are getting a veto on adult behavior. YouTube may have to take the position that for a child-directed video or a partially child-directed video, they have to remove all persistent identifiers, whether the audience is children or adults. Now it's unclear if that is required. It's not unclear. The rule is very clear. If you've got something that is not targeting children that are 12 and under, then you could put an age gate and then you essentially split people off into buckets that those that are 13 and over can have persistent identifiers and all the other stuff. 
Those that are 12 and under can't have those persistent identifiers, can't have all that other stuff. And that is absolutely an option. That's an option that the FTC lays out specifically in black and white. It's an option that they commented on, on being allowed. And it's essentially the required option if you were going to have this operator definition applied at this granular level to people that don't control the operation of a website, which we've talked about as being absolutely ludicrous on its face and an expansion of COPPA in general. But if you accept that premise, there has to be a way to say, hey, I am not, in fact, directed at children. Children might like my content. Children might watch virtual legality for all I know. But this is certainly not a conversation that is targeting kids 12 and under. Finally, Mr. Legal Eagle finishes off with the following. When Malik Descartes of YouTube spoke to the FTC in October, this is one of the things that he really wanted clarification from the FTC. But for the time being, the mixed audience exception is up in the air. It's not clear that either YouTube or YouTube creators will ever be able to meet the requirements, depending on how strictly the FTC is interpreting their rules. And it's unclear who, if anyone, can take advantage of the mixed audience exception. I will agree with this. Because of the vagueness and the subjectivity of the COPPA rule in general, it's entirely unclear what the commission will do on any given day. It's entirely unclear whether it will determine that your content is directed at children under paragraph one, And then it's doubly unclear whether they will then determine that that channel that is directed to children under paragraph one is not in fact targeting children under the next paragraph because of reasons. That in and of itself is unclear. But YouTube not extending the option, not working out the technical craft to actually allow people to say, yes, this might be directed to children under paragraph one, but it is not targeting children under paragraph three. Thus, I am going to incorporate an age gate. Or I'm going to tell people that say, hey, we are not going to collect any information from you until you actually have a Google account or until you click this box that says, yes, I am over the age of 13. And then once you click that box, it doesn't need to be on every video. God knows the reason Google is in trouble is because they're so damn good with persistent identifiers that once you click that box, they can put you in a file folder and they can know that you've clicked that box every single other time that you visit YouTube. And you will have self-identified as over the age of 13 for purposes of all mixed audience videos on YouTube. They can do that. That they have chosen not to do that, in my opinion, is based solely on the premise of not providing friction for what they want to be as easy a process as possible for people to come in, people to watch YouTube videos, and from YouTube's perspective, to not really care what age they are. And they only really get in trouble if you go and you visit a directed to children, targeted to children channel. So they're going to, yes, comply with all of the FTC's requirements in their consent order, which includes the box check that we've talked about at length now for a couple of months. But outside of that, YouTube doesn't want to rock any boats. YouTube doesn't want to do anything extra above that. Yes, it will ding the people that identify as four kids a little bit more because they've had all these issues. They've had all these issues with respect to Uh, people commenting on children's videos and other things that have gone on now for a couple years at YouTube. But at the end of the day, YouTube doesn't want to rock the boat. And so they haven't offered these options, which I think are pretty clearly available, even if it would be a difficult thing to implement in a kind of totality of the circumstances that the FTC could still look at you and say, you checked the wrong boxes. That is never going to change. But the fact that YouTube didn't even offer the option 
is the primary problem that I think a number of folks have with it. It's one of the primary problems that I have with it. And it's one of the reasons I think legal legal on this point is specifically wrong. He conflates directed to children with mixed audience and comes up with a response that doesn't match the language of the rule, doesn't match their own comments to the rule that they enacted in 2013, and certainly doesn't match a lot of the feelings that you can get out of COPPA's request for comments, the FTC's request for comments to that rule that are going around now and that have been extended until, I guess, this week. So if you have any other questions, you know, please check out the rest of my channel. I've got an entire series on this called YouTube at Large. We've got a five-minute case file on COPPA. We talk about whether the FTC is likely to target your channel, other complications with YouTube's responses, the video that I pointed out about YouTube's issues, the FTC's issues with their own case, and so, so, so much more. So if you like this, please like, please subscribe. Tell your friends, share it around with anybody that you think might be interested. And Legal Eagle, if you wind up watching this, if you want to leave a comment, if you want to chat about it, I would be happy to do so. I think you do good work. I think you just missed the ball on this one. And certainly lawyers can disagree on this and a whole number of other things. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.